Take your Bibles and take your outlines, and let's turn to Luke chapter 17, and uh, we're going to start at verse 11, and we're going to study our, start our, our study on a thankful heart, part two. And last week, we spent the night talking about our hearts and, and our biblical context of our hearts and how our hearts, biblically speaking, uh, is the center of us. It's the core of us. It's our thoughts, our, our emotions. It's our intentions. It's our, it's our motivations. And biblically speaking, who we are lives in our hearts. Now, how many of you can remember where we say our hearts are? Can we point to our hearts biblically? Where's our hearts? Right here. Because our hearts are really in our minds. Biblically speaking, it's not the organ that pumps blood in the middle of our chest, even though when we talk about to be the center of us, you know, we can kind of identify it as being in the middle of us. But really, your thoughts and, uh, and the motivations, the intentions of you are here. They're in your mind. And when Christ comes into your life, yes, he comes into your body, but he certainly comes into our mind. In fact, the Bible very clearly teaches us that he renews our mind and that God tests our mind and our hearts. And so last week we talked about the biblical concept of our heart and who it is and our intentions are and the fact that without God our, our hearts are, are deceitful and desperately sick. But it is God's intention to give us a new spirit, a new heart, His heart, and that He wants to live inside of us, all right? So, so we talked about our hearts. Now tonight I want to take that one step further. That when we turn our hearts over to God, we turn the center of us over to God. We turn our intentions and our motivations and our reasons and our, and our thoughts over to God. We also now want to have that place where God lives within us, our, our thought process, to, to live and to function in a way that is pleasing and honoring to Him. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say to you up front, and I'll probably say it about five more times tonight, I may say it more than that, but I really believe, I honestly believe that the most powerful thing that you can do, improve your life, to make a difference in your attitude, is to choose, choose to be thankful. The most powerful thing you can do is choose to be thankful. When you are down, when you're frustrated, when you're depressed, when you're uh, confused, when you're angry, have any of you ever felt any of those emotions? <laughs> Frustrated, yeah. Alone, uh, lacking, without, needy, I'm telling you, the most powerful thing that you can do is choose to be thankful. It will immediately have an impact on your attitude. Because, and you know, you don't have to take my word for it. Just try it. And I guarantee you, if you try it, you will find that, that it's, it's not a hard thing. It's not a complex thing. It's not like you've got to really, really struggle to find something to be thankful for. I mean, if you just take the moment and just imagine how much God has done for you and how much he does for you all the time. Uh, let me give you an easy one. Put your hand on your chest or on your wrist and feel your pulse. If you have a pulse, you've got something to be thankful for. All right? Uh, take in a breath and let the breath go. Now, how hard was that? The fact that you can do that, you've got something to be thankful for. 
Because your very life comes from him. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I promise you that, uh, and this is something that my children have had to grown up with. Uh, my wife and I have always challenged our, each other in this area. When we're, when we're a little bit grumpy and we're having a tough time, we say, are you choosing to be thankful? And I'll, <laughs> you know, you get a little bit of that out of it. But you know, when you choose to be thankful, all of a sudden, ugh, it, just, it just pushes away. Now, that doesn't mean that it removes all the things that you're frustrated about. It doesn't mean it solves all the problems that you have. It doesn't make everything, you know, just, you know, money doesn't just jump into your wallet because you're thankful. I'm not promising any of those kind of hokey things. But it will change your attitude. And it changes your heart. And when you have a thankful heart, it will give you a power and a strength and a, uh, an ability to face life, okay? So I want us uh, to, to jump into uh, this scripture. This is a uh, certain Luke chapter 17. That's what I said, right? Verse start 11. Okay, now this is a story about, uh, you probably have heard of this story. It's a familiar story to you if you've been around uh, church at all. Uh, this is a story about Jesus and, uh, and an encounter that he had. And so I'm going to start in verse 11. While he, this was Jesus, while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. An amazing story to me. How many of you have heard this story before, the ten lepers? It's a new story. How many of you have a new story too? Some of you, okay. Ten lepers. Okay, uh, let's talk about leprosy for a second. Leprosy was a uh, disease, a very common in this region where Jesus uh, lived and ministered. It was, uh, it was not a new disease in this time of Jesus. In fact, the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, talked about leprosy. In fact, we're going to get into that just in a second, what Jesus instructed these guys to do. But leprosy was a disease that affected uh your body in such a way that um, it, it, a lot of people think it was a skin disease, but it actually was kind of like an immune disease where you could get, you could get a cut or a, a, a bruise and you, and you wouldn't necessarily feel it, okay? And, and people would get leprosy and it would, it would affect their entire bodies and, and the externals, their hands, their feet, their face, their noses, it would, it would actually deteriorate. And it was extremely contagious disease so much so that anybody who had this disease um, they weren't they were not allowed to be a part of society they had to 
identify themselves as lepers. Whenever, whenever anyone came near to them, they had to cry out, hey, I'm a leper. Stay away. And they lived their entire existence in isolation. Now, lepers would kind of gather together because, you know, they already had it, so they weren't afraid of catching it from each other. But, but they were completely dependent on people who were merciful, who would bring food to them. Uh, they would live in what, you know, regions or valleys that were of the lepers. And leprosy was like the ultimate uh, curse of isolation because, it, you know, people could have other diseases, and they could live with them inside their bodies. They could have things like cancer or heart disease or diabetes, and, and nobody would ever know, and nobody would ever be afraid of catching it from them. But leprosy in this culture was like the worst possible thing, and they were immediately outcasts no matter who they were. In fact, there was stories of, uh, in the Old Testament of very, very rich people who had leprosy, and they came and, uh, and was seeking uh, you know, help from the Lord because they, they, no matter how much money they had, their life was, was devastated by this disease. Okay? So Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. So let's, let's just kind of make a map in our heads. Let's say Jerus- uh, uh, Galilee was up at the top, the lake, the lake of Galilee, okay? And Jerusalem would be down here at the bottom, okay? And so he's traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem. But to get to, get to Jerusalem, which was the center of the city, the center of the nation where the temple was, for him to get there, he had to pass through this region called Samaria. Now, Samaria was uh, right smack in the middle of Israel, but it was, it was populated with people who they were, uh, had, a, a, had a legacy or tradition of being Jewish, but they weren't completely Jewish. And they were, they themselves, just because of their culture, they were like a foreign people in the middle of a nation. And they felt like, okay, so in fact, even Jesus, did you hear what Jesus called him? Jesus called this guy a foreigner. Jesus walking through his country, his land where he lived, but Jesus called him a foreigner because they were, they were ruled by the Jewish people. And they were a mixed race, a mixed race between Jews and, and people who were non-Jews. And so in many ways, they kind of, they kind of embraced some of the, the laws and the, and the teachings of God. But in a lot of ways, they, they kind of rejected them too because they were rejected in their hearts, all right? So Jesus is walking through this land from Galilee to the, to the nation's capital to where the temple was. He goes through Samaria, and these ten guys approach him. And they call out to him. And so, you know, now the Bible doesn't say that they identified themselves. Hey, stop. We're lepers. Don't come any closer. But, but they were identified as lepers. So that, that exchange probably took place because that was expected of people. But they called. They said, Jesus, Master. Have mercy on us. They, they stopped him. They approached him. They asked him to have mercy on them. They asked for this healing. They asked for this blessing from Jesus. They initiated this. And what did Jesus do for them? He said, go. Show yourself to the priest. He didn't, he didn't walk up to them and, and wave hands over them. He didn't touch them. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't, you know, now there were some instances where a leper would come to him. He'd actually say, be healed, and he'd actually touch them. He would extend his life to them. He was never afraid of touching and loving and expressing his life to people. But these guys, he just said, go on your way and show yourself to the priest. Now, there's a very specific reason for that. In the Old Testament, you may want to write this on your outline. In Leviticus chapter 14, 
There is a provision in the Old Testament that when a person who is leprous wants to be is healed or cleansed or reinstated into the community, there was a process which this person had to go through. And, and if for whatever reason God had healed them and they had received a healing from this, this skin disease, they would have to go to the priest and they would have to call out and tell the priest, hey, I'm a leper, but I've been cleansed, I've been healed, and I want to be reinstated. The Bible says that the priest would have to leave the, leave the camp where the people were, come out to the outside of the camp, to you know, the outskirts of the, of the city or the community or where they're living, and he would have to take a look at him and say, all right, you look like you're cleansed, but you've got to go through this process to be reinstated. And it's a process of worship. It was a process of sacrifice. And uh, in Leviticus 14, I won't go through all of it tonight, but it's a very specific process where he'd, he'd have to bring two birds. One of the birds was slaughtered, and the other bird was dipped in the, uh, the blood of the first bird along with hyssop and a scarlet thread, which is very fascinating because there's stories throughout the Bible that tie hyssop and the scarlet thread into the, into the story of the salvation of mankind in the story of Jesus. In fact, here's, here's one of the stories. There was two babies in the womb. One of them stuck their hand out first, and they tied a scarlet thread around it. But they pulled his arm back in, and the other baby was born first. Okay? The scarlet thread was put on the second one that was born. That, that child that was the second one actually became the lineage of the, of, the, of the nation of Israel and the lineage of Jesus. Okay? And there was this, this strange story in the Bible where this baby stuck its hand out with, before his twin, pulled the hand back in, and the other baby was born first, but there was this scarlet thread, and it's, it's like there's this weaving of this story of the scarlet thread. Well, part of the, the redemption or the cleansing of a leper, they had to bring this scarlet thread. The other thing they had to bring was hyssop. Now, the way that that's interesting is because hyssop was the branch that was used in the Passover, and they had to take hyssop and dip it in the blood, and that's what they used to put on the doorpost at the Passover, when they put blood above the door and on the side, they had to use hyssop for that. Hyssop was also the branch that was used that was lifted up the vinegar to the mouth of Jesus while he was on the cross. Now, I don't know all the reasons why those things are tied together, but the Bible ties these things together, this, this scarlet thread and this hyssop and this sacrifice, and it's all part of this ceremony for cleansing of the leper. And so they had to take this, this one bird, sacrifice the bird, take the other bird, dip it in the blood with the hyssop and the string, and then they'd let the bird go, and the bird would fly away. And then they'd have to bring three lambs. They'd slaughter two of them, and the other they would, and they'd use them from different parts of, the, of a sacrifice of a ceremony. And 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 they would take olive oil, and they place olive oil on the guy's earlobe, on his right thumb, and his big right toe. And they had to go through all this. I mean, it's a, if you read this chapter, it's, it's amazing. All these steps this guy had to go through. Hey, I just got cleansed from leprosy. I just want to join my family and everybody back again. And you're taking me through all this process. But it all had meaning, and it was this big process. And so what Jesus had said to these guys, all he said to them was, go show yourself to the priest. Now, what that meant to them was they had to go find a priest. They had to declare that they were cleansed. They had to go bring the sacrifice. They had to go through the whole ceremony to actually be reinstated into the community. Well, on their way, Jesus cleansed them. They were healed from leprosy as they were going. And yet, only one of them took a look at himself and said, Hey, 
Sunday. My skin is normal. And he went right back to Jesus. And he fell on his knees and he cried out with a loud voice. What's fascinating to me is that 10 were cleansed. They didn't, they didn't do anything other than ask. Jesus told them to do what they needed to do to ceremonially be reinstated and restored. As they went in obedience to what Jesus told them to do, they were cleansed, but only one of them took the time to come back. And he wasn't even a Jew. He was just a Samaritan. And Jesus took note of that. He says, where's the other 10? And he turned to this guy and he said, go your way, stand up. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. He was the one who expressed thanksgiving. And I often wonder, were all ten of them healed? Yeah. Do you think that the other nine suddenly were struck with leprosy again after Jesus healed them? Nah. No way. They were healed. They were completely healed. But it seems to me only one of them was really healed. Do you know what I mean by that? The one that didn't just receive the blessing of the gift of the cleansing and the healing, the one who was willing to be thankful had something going on in him that made him a complete whole person, not just a healed person. Does that make sense? And I'm sure that Every single one of those guys that were asking for the healing from leprosy, I'm sure that they were pretty sick of it. Aren't you? I mean, could you imagine living your whole life? You, I mean, you could never go. Let's, let's put it into modern context. You could never go into a restaurant. You could never go to a movie. You could never join a gathering like this. I mean, if you did, you'd have to sit, you know, out there somewhere and say, you know, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I can't. I can't shake your hands. I can't. T- it's kind of like it's kind of like this flu scary going around right now. You know, people don't want to touch anybody because they're afraid they're going to catch something. But could you imagine living your whole life having to declare yourself, "No, I can't come near you. I can't have human contact. I can't. I can't be a part. I can't be a part of life." Could do you imagine you get pretty sick of that? And could you imagine if you had any kind of any kind of faith in God at all, you would say, "God, why me?" I, I don't deserve this. And I'm sure, I'm sure they had prayed, God, please heal me of this. Forgive me of this. Get this out of me. And I'm sure when they came across Jesus, who had done so many things in that nation, and they had heard of him, they obviously knew who he was. They obviously knew what he was capable of. It's because they came to him and they asked him, have mercy on us. Jesus, they called him master. I have it in my heart. I get the impression that they probably thought that when they got cleansed, well, it's about time. Well, God finally answered my prayer. After all that I've been through, they probably felt like they deserved it. They probably felt like they didn't deserve to have whatever they had and for God to make them just normal. They deserve to be at least normal. Wouldn't you feel like you would deserve to be at least normal? And I, and I think 
that's how these guys felt. I feel like they felt like they deserved it. And so when they were cleansed, they just didn't have it in them to go back and thank Jesus for it. It was more like, well, finally. Now, here's the point. I wonder how many times, how many hundreds of times a day where God does something really wonderful for you and you just feel like you deserved it and you don't take the time to say with a loud voice and a humble heart, oh, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. And so here's your first fill-in tonight. We need to be thankful even when we think we deserve what God gives us. Because there's lots of things that we pray for, lots of things that we ask, lots of things that we expect from God. And we need to be thankful even when we think we deserve what God gave us. Because there's something about that pride, something about that arrogance. Well, I deserved it. I mean, you know, God's just give me what I deserve. No, Jesus took note of the guy who came back and thanked him, and he also took note of those who didn't. I think Jesus is watching our hearts. Didn't we study that last week? He searches our hearts. He tests our minds. He's looking for our intention. He's looking for why we do what we do. And I, I'm saying to you tonight as your friend and pastor, we need to be careful to be thankful for every good thing that he brings us. Do you agree with me on that? Okay. So let's, let's look at some grateful scriptures, some ways in which we can express this thanksgiving to the Lord. First Chronicles 16, 8 through 11 says this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing song, praises to him. Speak of all of his wonders. Glory in his holy name. And here's where I want you, and I want to circle this. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. There is something about the scripture here that's talking about the heart of someone who is thankful. They're looking for God. They're seeking God. Remember we talked about last week? God was looking for a man who sought after his own heart. And this is a, 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 another a scriptural declaration of that attitude. We should, we should have this thanksgiving be on our lips. It should be in our hearts. We should be looking for God, looking for God's way, looking for God's intentions, looking for what God is doing in us. And when he does what he does, even if it's not what we want, even if it's not the way that we want it, even when it's difficult or hard or challenging, we need to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in me. Thank you for the way that you're putting your life in me. Thank you for bringing your spirit in me. Thank you for loving me enough to change me, to work me over, to challenge me, to purge me, to cleanse me, to put me through hard things, but put me through joyful things. No matter what it is you bring to my life, I'm looking and I'm seeking you. 
It's kind of like the scripture that we find in, in John. And when Jesus says, the Father is looking for those who worship him in spirit and truth. He seeks, he seeks them. And God's looking for our hearts. He's looking for thankful hearts. Look what it says here in Ephesians 5.20. Always giving thanks for what? Say it louder. All things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So we come in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll, I'll say this again. The name of Jesus is the nature of Jesus. It's not, I'm just not saying in Jesus' name, amen. I'm coming in the nature of the Son of God. I'm coming in, the, in, in Christ. I identify that I, Christ lives in me, and now that he who lives in me is Christ. I live in Christ. Christ may, that Christ may dwell in my heart. And so when I come to God, the Father, I'm coming like Jesus came to the Father. And I thank you, Holy Father. I thank you, my Heavenly Father. I thank you, in everything, in everything, in the good and in the bad, the stuff I like and the stuff I don't, in everything, because you have made me your child, because you have put your spirit in me, because you've made me expression of your life, I thank you in everything. And I may not understand it, and I may not like it, I may think I deserve it, I may think I don't deserve it, but no matter what it is, I'm always giving thanks. You know what this means? That Thanksgiving is not one day a year. It's not just the fourth Thursday of every November. If we're always giving thanks, what day is Thanksgiving? Every day. Every day. Today's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> and we should always be giving thanks it's something that we can give to God you know you it's hard to imagine me giving God something what does God need he doesn't need anything but you know what you need you need to give and you need to give thanks and even if you don't have a penny to your name you can always give him thanks in every time in every way every day isn't that good that's good. Okay, First Thessalonians 5, 8, uh, 5.18. I love this one. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You never, ever have to question or doubt, God, what is your will for me? Oh, I wonder whether I'm in the will of God or not. Hey, if you're thanking him, you're in his will. You're in his will. And no matter what you're going, you know, because... I hate to tell you this. His will is not just a circumstance. You can have a flat tire or not have a flat tire. You can have a job or not have a job. You can live in California or you can live in Minnesota. His will isn't so much a circumstance. What the Bible says his will is for you is for you to do what? What does it say there? Give thanks. Give thanks because this is God's will for you. I'm telling you, a thankful heart is the most powerful, most anointed, most blessed condition you could ever have. And when you're thankful, you're never out. You may be down, but you're never out because you're in the will of Jesus. Okay? All right, so that's, so that's clear. So let's fill in this next box. 
We need to give thanks always and in everything. Always and in everything. For this is God's will for us in Jesus. So it doesn't mean you just thank him for the stuff you like. You just thank him for this when it's going good. You thank him when the sun is shining and you got extra pennies in your pocket. No, it's always and in everything. And if you're rich in Thanksgiving, you are truly, truly rich. And you may not have two pennies to rub together, but you're rich in God. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, that's a, that's a command. That's an instruction to you. But look at the promise that comes with this command. It's a wonderful promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which you cannot even understand. You can't figure out. You comprehend it. That means that you can't manipulate it. You can't, you can't take credit for it. You can't say, oh, I caused that to happen. No, it's the peace of God will come, and it will guard your heart, and it will guard your mind. And how many times does our heart, our mind feel vulnerable, under attack? We talked about this earlier. We feel confused. We feel uh, desperate. We feel needy. But the Bible promises us that if we would not be anxious, but in our talking to him, in our asking of him, we do it with thanksgiving, all of a sudden everything changes. If you're asking him and you're pleading with him and you're begging of him and you're demanding of him in the name of Jesus, but you're not thankful, <laughs> you're robbing yourself of the promise of his peace. And you could actually get yourself into a, this little wrestling match with God and you can get, and why God, why God, why God? And if you're not thankful, it's just like you and God are having a fight. And guess what? You get in a fight with God, guess who loses? <laughs> you lose. But you come to God in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your challenge, in the midst of your troubles with thanksgiving? Guess what? You win because he's going to show up with his peace and he's going to guard your heart from those things that are troubling you. He's going to guard your mind from those things that are confusing you. Now, does that mean that all the problems are going to be immediately solved? No. You're going to have the exact same problem that you had before you asked him with Thanksgiving, but because you asked him in Thanksgiving, he's going to give you something that you don't understand, you can't comprehend. He's going to give you his peace. And I'm telling you, that's a powerful thing to happen in your life. How many of you want the peace of God in your minds and your hearts? You've got to come with Thanksgiving. Be thankful. Let's read another one. I, this one gets even better. Colossians 3, 15 and 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, 
and what? Be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the name is the nature of Jesus. Again, I'm coming as a son, as a daughter of God. I'm coming as the one who lives in the everlasting, eternal life of Jesus. I come and I giving thanks through him to God the Father. So let the peace of God rule in my hearts and be thankful. Sing to him. Teach one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, worship with one another, with thanksgiving in your hearts. And whatever you do, whatever you do, do it by giving thanks. Do it by giving thanks. I'm telling you, it opens the door to an intimacy, to a power, to a freedom, to a blessing where the peace of God will rule inside of you when you're thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So let's fill in our last outline here. Thanksgiving is the key to the peace of Christ guarding and ruling our hearts. Guarding and ruling our hearts. Because those are the two things he promised. When you are thankful, when you come in the name, in the nature of Jesus, he will guard your heart and he will rule in your heart. That means he takes up his residence and he takes charge. And even when we're facing stuff that we don't want to have to go through, I choose in everything at all times to be thankful. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you tonight. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. May our hearts be lifted up before you with thanksgiving. May we always choose in every encounter with you, in every interaction with you, every time we ask you for anything, May we not ask in anger, but even if we do, may we ask with thanksgiving. And when we're frustrated and when we're hurting and when we're deeply sad, when we're challenged and when, we're, and when we just don't know where to turn or what to do, may we always come in the name of Jesus with thanksgiving. And may that powerful release by entry into your presence with thanksgiving. May that release your peace, your powerful presence to guard our minds and guard our hearts. And Jesus, we ask that you forgive us for those times. And we know that they are often. We know that that happened today where you gave us something from your hand and we forgot to thank you. Where you blessed us, where you provided for us, where you gave us peace, where you gave us comfort, where you gave us life, the food that we ate today, the people that we encountered today, the way that you provided for us today, the glorious things that you did for us today, and we just didn't take the time to say thank you. Forgive us. And so we thank you now. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you are, all that you're constantly doing, the power of the presence of your Holy Spirit. Father, your word, your commandments, your precepts, 
your life, it endures forever. You've done wonderful things for us, the sons of men. May we honor you forever and ever with a thankful heart. May we be the people of praise and thanksgiving that your rulership, your authority, your kingdom is ever present within us. And Lord, no matter what we go through, may we always have an ability to help anyone come into your presence because we are so ready to be thankful. So quick to be thankful. So living in an attitude of gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.